Hey, 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 welcome back to Rebellion Dogs Radio. Your addiction recovery show now with less dogma, more bite. I'm glad you're here. This episode, let's catch up a little. We're going to review an experiment that went on in Washington, D.C. I attended Unite to Face Addiction. It was the first uh, rally for the recovery community. Uh, A thousand showed up to listen to sober rock stars play music and numerous political and recovery community icons talk about real change. Uh, I've got uh, some bootleg audio that I'm going to share and some thoughts on the subject. I have a few things in print this fall. Uh, That's uh, fall 2015 if you're listening sometime in the future. That's the great thing about a podcast is it's not uh, time-stamped or stale-dated. In Recovery Magazine was nice enough to print an article I submitted. It was my tribute to a mentor of mine, Ernie Kurtz. I devoted a show on Rebellion Dogs Radio to his legacy a little while back. But if you want some more, uh, dig up uh, In Recovery Magazine. The Void Left Behind by Ernie Kurtz is, of course felt worse by those closest loved ones to him. But for the rest of us who knew him more by his body of work than as husband, brother, home group member, he was uh, one of a kind, and many of us have to pick up our game a little to try to make up the ground uh, lost in a world without Ernie Kurtz. So visit In Recovery Magazine and look for the cover of uh, Tommy Rosen on the front. Ernie's on page 100. Now, the documentary about Amy Winehouse that I saw at North by Northeast this spring uh, is now available on DVD or Blu-ray. I wrote about my experience of the movie in the fall Renew magazine, and I'll share with you today a little bit about how and why that movie broke into my top 10 addiction recovery genre movies. I just saw I. uh, profound comedy-esque one-man show with Richard Lett at Yuck Yucks in Toronto. It's called Sober But Never Clean. Richard is going to be our guest on our next episode, but I'll share a sneak uh, preview uh, in just a few minutes. Since we last communicated, I've been pretty busy at the uh, Sedona Mago Retreat in Arizona Director Jay Stinnett invited me to come host a weekend, and John McAndrew graciously agreed to co-host. We did a retreat called An Atheist and Theologian Go on a 12-Step Call Together. It was a discussion about language, especially language around addiction and recovery and how we share an experience, the experience of addiction, the experience of recovery, But while we agree on the shared experience, we each have an explanation about the experience, and our explanation varies dramatically. The obvious difference is one who views sobriety as a miracle, and another who views it as cause and effect. One that sees reliance on a power-granting deity as essential to an alcoholic's or addict's reprieve, and someone else who sees Such a belief is trading one house of cards belief construct, uh, such as 
One day I'll enjoy the benefits of mind-altering substances without all these consequences. For another sketchy belief construct, such as, we can tap into the super-higher power force field that will protect us from harm. While I agree, this is recovery reality for some, in fact many, uh, in AA and other 12-step fellowships. While this view just doesn't fly for others, it's just another magical thinking flavor traded in for one that doesn't uh, fly anymore. Again, same experience. Crushing humiliation from addiction, failed attempts to stop, brushes with death, be it life itself or just crushed hope, helplessness, and then boom, transformation, freedom from bondage. Exactly the same experience, but different uh, explanation. On Facebook, you know, I saw it on a bumper sticker, uh, said better than I'm explaining it. It went something like this. 6 plus 3 equals 9. That's a fact. So does 4 plus 5. The way we do things is not always the only way to do them. Respect other people's way of thinking. See, I told you it was better. (laughs) So in uh, Sedona, Arizona, 12-step members of all stripes gather to talk about language around recovery in the rooms and how it can create barriers uh, and or build bridges. Imagine if we all knew we got to nine, but just because we went from five to four, that doesn't mean our journey was more righteous than someone who went from one to eight or seven to two and so on. I'm working on uh, some of the audio from those three days of our discussion in the desert, either here or on the Sedona Mago Retreat site. We'll uh, share some of that audio with you sometime in the next uh, couple of months. Now, there were people from the UK, Western Canada, Eastern Canada, all over the USA. Uh, Everyone contributed. There's talk of doing it again in the East, maybe in the Pocono Mountains, a couple hours from New York City. So stay tuned for that. Anyway, all year there was a buzz about the blogosphere, about Unite to Face Addiction. Lisa and I drove down from Toronto and met some friends there and made some new ones. Some of these people were online friends that I've come to admire, but I'd never met in person. It was October 4th, 2015. Everything started Sunday afternoon, so Lisa and I visited the Washington We Agnostics morning discussion group beforehand. One of the uh, founding members was celebrating 30 or 40 continuous years of sobriety. It was momentous. It was a great meeting. We went for lunch with some of them after and got to know some of the members better. Now at Unite to Face Addiction, performers included Joe Walsh, Steve Tyler, and his uh, Nashville band, Loving Mary. Cheryl Crow played Jason Isbell, The Fray, Jonathan Rzeznik from the Goo Goo Dolls. They all performed. So did uh, songwriter and actor Paul Williams. There was TV personality Pat O'Brien, Tommy Rosen, activists, members of Congress, both Republican and Democrat. The Surgeon General spoke. There were authors, an astronaut, a sports celebrity, and Hollywood physician Dr. Oz. And then there was this creepy, this is just me because it didn't phase everybody. Hi, we're from Big Pharma and we're here to help. That was a weird message for me. But but anyway, 
it, it was all good. I just, you know, uh, am forever uh, skeptical. Uh, William White was on the bill, and President Obama Skyped in with a recorded message that today things will change. Uh, I'll give the next four minutes to another Joe who was in Washington and talked to us from the stage. As I said at the top of the show, this is what you call low-tech bootleg. Uh, listen a little harder. It's worth it, I think. Here we go. My name's Joe, and I'm a recovered addict. Like a lot of people, I was addicted to more than one thing. From my perspective, there are more recovered addicts now than there have ever been. And we are a family. We are grateful to be alive and have our lives back and helping other addicts is what we are. I said there's a lot of us, but for every one of us who makes it, there are seven addicts who don't. And they die horrible, miserable deaths alone and nobody cares. That doesn't have to be. We need a plan. There is no plan. Today is an awareness, the beginning of a national awareness. Addiction is a human condition. Addiction is a disease. The answer is not a jail sentence. The answer is help, and there is no national plan. The government, please, have a look at it. Make it possible for somebody who wants to get sober to get sober.
That little ditty is Funk 49, if you don't know it, by the James Gang, Joe Walsh's band, before his infamous solo career, Rocky Mountain Way, Life's Been Good, and so on. Then there's his tenure with the Eagles. Uh, Joe opened the show, and uh, the thousands that were there loved it. Now, people claimed that there were tens of thousands, and others said hundreds of thousands. It's hard to say for sure. Even if there was just six or 8,000, it was a success. Uh, consider that it almost got canceled. Hurricane Joaquin, a uh, Category 4 storm, was nearby, and two days before the event, there was no clear message as to whether the show was a go. It was windy and cool, and the show went on. Uh, I'm sure organizers are speculating at how many more would have come without that on-again, off-again weather issue. But uh, many, me included, barring road closures and evacuation, were going to be there. And we did. Overall, I think the whole thing was a pretty good idea. I'd call it a success. Since right now did a podcast to recap it, I thought they summed it up nicely. So I direct you there if you want to get into some of the details. I agree with what Joe Walsh said, that we ought not criminalize addiction. That's what the war on drugs did, really. It turned those of us who suffer from a malady into would-be or actual criminals. But can stigma be eliminated by willing it to be so? Can addiction be prevented? Nice thoughts, but as Ernie Kurtz says, you can force sex on someone, but you can't force love. You can intervene on an addict, but can you will us sober? I thought some of the day was platitudes and wishful thinking and rally calls, but it's not hurting anyone, and it may help, maybe a few, and maybe many. All in all, it was a good idea. The, the music was so good, it was worth it. I'm glad this happened. About 400, or it could be even 700, stakeholders and organizers teamed together to make this happen. That's pretty impressive. Uh, the next day was a rally to Capitol Hill, I don't live in the U.S., and I don't have a congressman to make demands upon, so I didn't stick around for day two. I did see some pictures on Facebook and Twitter. It looked like people made quite an impact. I don't know if you caught them, but I posted some short musical clips in real time on Twitter and Facebook from Sheryl Crow, Joe Walsh, and Steven Tyler uh, finished with a cover of the Beatles' Come Together, and almost everyone who performed that day got on stage to sing along. It was, it, was, it was a good finish. If they do it again next year, I recommend it. If you're introverted or anxious about crowds, uh, they simulcast it about four hours of this show, and they'll probably do that again next year. Okay. Hey, this is Jack Grisham, author of A Principle of Recovery and An American Demon, and you're listening to Rebellion Dogs Radio. Yes, Next episode, I'm going to share two discussions with you. One is punk rocker and author Jack Grisham. He's 25-plus years sober. His uh, latest book is called A Principle of Recovery, An Unconventional Journey Through the Twelve Steps. I read a few books a month, and I wouldn't recommend them all, but this one's a good read. It'll push your buttons and challenge some preconceived ideas, but it's mostly experience, not so much theory. 
And how can you argue with uh, someone else's experience? It's not dogmatic and it's not nihilistic about the fate of 12-step recovery. It's candid. It has several insights. Uh, it had me saying damn out loud. And it's extremely entertaining. It's high energy. I laughed. I cried. Uh, I'm glad I read it. Also next week, I'll be in discussion with Richard Lett. I saw his one-man show at Yuck Yucks in Toronto, and the packed house absolutely loved it. Here's a, a little sneak preview. Here's Richard Lett doing a routine that was included in the show I saw. October 2009, I saw a man die. It was a murder, a gang shooting in the middle of Camby Street. And I didn't see the shooters, but I saw the man die, his soul leaving his body, crumpled man on the road. The police took the actual witnesses away, and so when the media showed up, they talked to me. I was drunk and callous, saying, Obviously he's dead. Do you hear any ambulances coming? I didn't care. I invited darkness in, and in it came. For the next three months, I could only remember darkness. It was late fall in Vancouver, so it was dark a lot. But there must have been some light. I don't remember. that time my drinking escalated and I ran out of money booze and friends not a coincidence withdrawal from alcohol is the most dangerous chemical withdrawal there is many people die from it convulsions strokes heart attacks also hallucinations hallucinations are not only seeing things that aren't there like gang members in my backyard but believing things that aren't true. By the late November, I was convinced the gang was after me, and so I left everything and went on a run, believing the only safe place for me was in a moving car. But gangs that don't exist are the scariest gangs of all, because they're everywhere. Every place I stopped, there was a gang member, disguised as a Tim Hortons girl or a pump jockey, whatever. So I kept moving. I drove almost 6,000 kilometers to get from Kitts Beach to Mission, B.C. 45-minute drive. Definitely the long way. But the blaze of glory that would be my demise, sliding off an icy mountain road and into oblivion, never materialized. Instead, I pulled my Honda to the side of the road and slept.
woke up, I was outside the Atlanta Club in Mission, B.C. Desperate for a cigarette, I got out of my car, knowing that there were recovery meetings in there, and also knowing that if you can't bum a cigarette outside of a recovery meeting, you have no skills at all. The woman at the Atlanta Club asked if I was there to get into the valley. I had no idea what she meant, but it got me a coffee and a cigarette, so I said, sure. She said, Les, we'll be here in half an hour. Okay, Les, whatever. Well, Les was a drug and alcohol counselor, and the valley was Miracle Valley, a treatment center outside of Abbotsford. By saying I was here to get into the valley, I was admitting to having a serious alcohol and drug problem. It took less, maybe 10 minutes, to dismantle the house of cards that was my life, find out that I'd been living in my car, and I was in serious danger. He got me to a homeless shelter where I would stay for the next five weeks. Nobody expects to be in a homeless shelter. Nobody judges you there. Oh, you were running away from a gang that didn't exist. Yeah, I've done that. Better to be safe than sorry. While I was there, I wrote this piece of music, which seemed to give some peace to the people staying there with me. I called it Winter Shelter. to me but I never thought I'll, I'll end up singing I'll be a singer I just thought I'm lucky that it's something I can always do if I want to I'm so lucky like that I felt like I had nothing new that was coming out at the time that really represented me or the way I felt so I you know I just started writing I wouldn't write anything unless it was directly personal to me just because I wouldn't be able to tell the story right I'm not a girl trying to be a star or trying to be anything other than a musician. How big do you think you're going to be? I don't. I don't think I'm going to be at all famous. I don't think I could handle it. I would probably go mad, do you know what I mean? I would go mad. Is it hard to know who you can trust? Yeah. Amy, the movie is uh, definitely about an artist, as the trailer suggests. 
and it's about her life and death, of course. But my experience of the movie was an experience as an addict. It was about addiction. It was about enmeshment, tragic loss, and a sober reminder that no one is completely impervious to the threat of relapse. Here's a little excerpt from uh, the Review magazine article I wrote. Daddy's Girl was one of Amy Winehouse's prominent tattoos. Body ink is a commitment, a symbol that permanently echoes how we self-identify. Capadia, the director, devotes a good deal of the movie's story to the role of Daddy, Mitch Winehouse, in the Amy Winehouse drama. It's worth noting that while both Amy's mother and father were cooperative in making Amy, Mitch was angered by how the movie served him up to any viewer looking for a villain in this tragedy. Amy's eating disorder and mental health issues have pre-teen origins. Soon she began to self-medicate with sex, alcohol, and drug addiction. Is it fair to say Amy had daddy issues that contributed to her demise? We learn that Amy's father started having an affair when she was about 18 months old, drifted away from the family. He would eventually trade in his domestic role entirely for a romantic pursuit. In the movie, Mitch rationalizes that Amy got over his leaving very quickly. We also hear Amy speak of this game-changer in her life. When Daddy was there, he was never there for the important bits, Amy said already displaying bulimic tendencies and on antidepressants, Amy describes Daddy's leaving as a time when she could get away with acting up at home. The song, What Is It About Men, on her album Frank, type of exclamation on the movie's thesis. Understand, once he was a family man, so sure I would never ever go through it firsthand. Emulate all the shit my mother hated. I can't help but demonstrate my Freudian fate. My alibi for taking your guy? History repeats itself. It fails to die. And animal aggression is my downfall. I don't care about what you got because I want it all. Why was Amy Winehouse drawn to jazz? Well, Daddy was a jazz singer, albeit not the Grammy Award-winning virtuoso that Amy was. Mitch is portrayed as an opportunist whose return to Amy's life was motivated more by taking his place as conductor of Amy's career than by any regret about his past life choices. Anytime we hear Mitch weigh in on Amy's process addiction and substance abuse, he offers an enabling minimalization of treating addiction versus opportunity costs. A goose doesn't lay golden eggs in rehab after all. No, no, no. And the show must go on or nobody gets paid. I wrote a book, as uh, many of you know. It was a secular daily reflection book for addicts and alcoholics in recovery. I'm still taken aback by the response I get from readers of the book. It resonates with many who read it. Uh, I'd often say, you know, anyone could have and still can write a book just like this. 
I was looking for a book like this and couldn't find one, so after complaining about it for a while, I wrote one. I know now that while it's true that many of us can express ourselves, especially in the rooms, we hear from great storytellers, but there's a difference between expressing ourselves and connecting with people. I don't know what it is that makes that difference. I'm from the music business, and there are lots of articulate singers and songwriters. They've got good voices, and they're skilled at the craft of songwriting. But Amy Winehouse is one who did more than express herself. She connected with people. Listeners felt understood when Amy sang her songs. That's a little of the je ne sais quoi that uh, I'm going to ponder for the next little while. <laughs> if you know what makes a difference between skilled communicators and someone who reaches people, don't be shy. Email us at news at rebelliondogspublishing.com. Tweet us or connect on Facebook. This inquiring mind wants to know. Hmm, that's about it for now. Again, next time... We have comedian, musician, poet Richard Lett and punk rocker author Jack Grisham. That will be fun. In the meantime, keep the conversation going. Here's a little of the very familiar Amy Winehouse to go out on. They tried to make me go to rehab. I said no, no, no. Yes, I've been